This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. This is Billy Hurley with NASA Tech Briefs. I'm speaking with Michael Ruskevich, NASA's chief engineer. As chief engineer for the agency, Dr. Michael Ruskevich is responsible for the overall review and technical readiness of all NASA programs. Michael, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Michael, can you take us through your roles and responsibilities as chief engineer? Okay, well, you, um, you just outlined one of them, and uh, that is um, uh, the line of responsibility for technical readiness uh, flows through me, although that what that means on a day-to-day basis is that, uh, that uh, the full engineering capability of the agency is, uh, is brought to bear in, uh, in doing that assessment. So I obviously don't walk around the agency and, uh, and uh, do that personally, uh, but do it via the engineering organizations that are participating in the uh, program and projects reviews. Um, the, the other pieces of that are that, um, uh, that I and through my office are, are the stewards for the uh, agency policy and program and project management and in uh, system engineering and uh, as software as well as the uh, uh, tech engineering technical standards. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have the um, uh, role of um, uh, uh, doing all of the being responsible for the uh, uh, training the, and the knowledge uh, uh, management uh, for engineering program project management uh, and system engineering. Uh, and so the way that manifests itself is uh, that last part is through our uh, uh, Apple program, the Academy of Program Project, project and Engineering Learning. and. Uh, a set of courses, uh, a lot of different knowledge management forums from uh, uh, that vary from uh, workshops to uh, specific training courses about uh, various aspects, some of those that we do in partnerships with, uh, with the mission directorates, uh, as well as a, um, a body of knowledge standard that uh, we use in the uh, certification of program and project manage, uh, managers. So it's a, it's a wide variety of activities. It's experiential based and uh, and directed at uh, at knowledge that's uh, that's learned on the job. It's augmented with formal training and uh, and formal processes to help transfer uh, uh, knowledge between uh, between generations. What is your relationship with the NASA engineering community? How do you keep those lines of communication open? Um, Two ways. One of them is through the formal reporting processes that uh, that roll up, uh, that are primarily program and project oriented. That they uh, roll up through our NASA uh, Program Management Council and our uh, monthly uh, baseline performance review. Uh, and so we're heavily involved in uh, in that roll roll up. Uh, but also very directly, uh, I lead the Engineering Management Board and have a, a very frequent uh, conversations with the engineering directors at all the centers. Um, so uh, stay in stay in touch of uh, progress on uh, on things go on. I, um, some of that's uh, simply the you know the routine of uh, that, you know yes we've we've done all the proper reviews. Uh, and everything looks good. Uh, other times, it's a uh, engagement around specific technical issues that come up. Uh, oh, notable recent examples are the the, uh, the issues that we had with the uh, shuttle external tank stringers, and uh, and uh, proving to ourselves that uh, that we had a, a system that was safe to fly. And that that involved a whole lot of episodic interactions of sitting down with people. Uh, along the way, saying at you know various points in time, what do we know, what do we don't know, and uh, how how are we going to get to a point that we have uh, adequate knowledge to be sure that we're safe to fly? 
What other teams are you working with in this type of position? Other teams? What do you mean within the agency? Right. Uh, pretty much uh, everything across the agency. Uh, I'm personally the uh, chair of the standing review board for the, uh, the Mars Science Lab. Uh, uh, quite a bit of interaction with uh, pretty much every uh, science mission director project. Uh, you know, of course, the uh, the ones that uh, that are having challenges like uh, JWST are you know are more frequent than others that are proceeding along smoothly. But uh, top to bottom, pretty much everything of uh, of, uh, of any significant size across the agency. What are the a lot of stand-up work, for example, in the uh, new human spaceflight program of. Uh, uh, working with the mission directorate and the engineering teams in support of the programs and projects to try to get those uh, uh, properly defined and uh, underway. What are the most exciting recent uh, engineering-related achievements that you've seen? Well, you know, for a lot of these things uh, uh, on the science mission directorate, of course, we tend to see them in the uh, in the front pages of the newspaper. Uh, there seems to be a uh, uh, new discovery every week. Anything from uh, um, the, you know, the first really good images of uh, Mercury from Mercury Messenger uh, to you know the, the latest Hubble. It's uh, it's kind of astounding that we've you know we've we've come so used to a uh, a mind blowing uh, new discovery out of Hubble that it becomes uh, becomes almost routine. Then you have to step back and say, boy, you know, we're in a position that we get to see something that human beings have never known before. Um, if I you know, go into Earth Sciences, uh, we're, you know, uh, almost on a weekly basis, we're seeing some new revelation or we're seeing an application of NASA technology that uh, to a problem that, uh, you know, everything from helping to, uh, to map the extent and the effects of the, uh, the Gulf oil spill to um, being able to uh, assist the Forest Service in uh, uh, and you know, fighting uh, wildfires, so it really runs the uh, the gamut on the uh, on the you know the human spaceflight side. Uh, of course, we've got the uh, uh, we're into the last few missions for the uh, for the space shuttle, and, uh, and a lot of absolutely magnificent work that's going on there. We have a, a uh, truly amazing uh, national laboratory with a, with a lot of potential, getting ready to put a uh, a uh, new high energy astrophysics uh, instrument on there. So it's uh, it doesn't feel like coming to work because there's so many exciting things that uh, that go on every day. You just can't wait to get in here and see what amazing thing is going to happen today. As chief engineer, your job is to assess policy and the technical readiness of NASA programs, as we said. Uh, when performing this task, what exactly are you looking for, and what is your sort of processing criteria when assessing a NASA program or project? Uh, well, we have a, a, um, a pretty well codified uh, uh, set of, uh, of entrance and exit criteria of work programs and projects ought to be at various stages in their life cycle. So uh, those are embodied in our uh, pro program and project management standards, system engineering standards, and the, the handbooks that go with them. Uh, and so those will be, you know, guidelines that say at uh, when we're at supposed to be at a preliminary design review level of maturity. Then we ought to be able. We ought to be seeing these kind of attributes uh, on the technology end of things. Uh, in particular, uh, what we're looking for very early on in the um, in the, uh, the life cycle of the project, when we're in the uh, the formulation phases, is we're looking for a uh, good, uh, solid process that identifies where the technological challenges are going to be with the mission, and particularly development of new technologies, 
and what the plan is to get those uh, developed and to uh, to buy down the risks uh, that they have. Typically, what we see in the in the programs and projects is that we don't see mission failures as a result of new technologies, but we frequently see programmatic challenges when we've underestimated how how long or how much money it's going to take to uh, to get something mature to the point that we're ready for flight. And so we're looking for a very uh, well-defined process that uh, that lays all of that out, and then uh, checkpoints along the way that allow us to to assess whether we've actually gotten uh, the the progress that we had intended, or whether uh, we need to step back and uh, and do some more work before we go on to the next steps. In the chain of uh, in the chain of events of a NASA program or project, uh, where are you exactly, and what what role do you play? Okay, well, as the, as the agency chief engineer, I uh, typically am directly involved in the, um, in the, uh, the large projects, uh, in the uh, decision-making process, either uh, as we commit to the, the next phase of activities, uh, different points in the life cycle. For example, uh, during the transition from our formulation of projects to the development of projects, um, uh, very heavily involved in the uh, in the review cycle and the decision making that goes up to making the final commitment to uh, to develop the project and um, uh, making sure that we've got the adequate resources in place and the uh, and the schedule. Um, the the other big area of engagement is typically in the uh, process leading up to um, uh, the the point at which we're ready to, uh, where we say we're that we're ready to fly. Um, has a few different names depending on exactly what we're doing. But for example, in the uh, uh, in the shuttle launch commitment process, uh, I sit on the uh, agency flight readiness review board, which is the culmination of uh, of another number of review panels that start at pretty low levels at the you know sometimes at the board or box or subsystem level, uh, go up through major element levels like external tank or. Um, uh, you know the, the orbiter itself, a program readiness board that uh, they make sure that they uh, they believe they've done all of their homework and gotten everything done, and then uh, the final assessment at the uh, at the flight readiness review. Uh, after that, that's the point at which we say we're ready to go fly. Of course, we always have planned work in front of us, but uh, but you know pending you know some some issue cropping up that we're ready to to fly uh, at that point. What are the biggest technical challenges for, for NASA's engineers that you've seen in the field or heard from them directly? Um, well, let's see. They, you know, there are always uh, very specific ones that, uh, that, that crop up in, uh, in projects. Uh, oftentimes in a, uh, in a development project of a, uh, of a one-of-a-kind system, um, it'll, it'll oftentimes be in the actual transitioning of a, uh, of a technology from the point at which we've, uh, we've you know, built an engineering model or built some kind of a test model that's sitting on a bench and transitioning it into, uh, into flight. That, that process uh, it tends to be uh, fairly expensive, can take a long time. Um, and it's the kind of thing, it's at the point where in the life cycle of a project where typically other things are beginning to accelerate uh, and so that's always a challenge to make sure that uh, we can keep that up and, uh, and do it with uh, the proper rigor uh, to be sure that we don't let, uh, let problems creep in. Um, if I look at the, you know, the, the challenges uh, that are in front of us right now is, uh, is our, our biggest single one is, uh, is figuring out how to, to 
do the things that we need to do for the future. Uh, you know, uh, we call it affordability. Uh, it's really to do it in a way that's as efficient and effective as it possibly can so that within the, uh, the resources that, the, that the, the, the Congress and the President uh, uh, give us to do these things, that we do as much as we, uh, as we possibly can with that. Uh, that's always a, uh, a tricky thing to do because, uh, you know, it's always possible to do more. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, it sometimes isn't very obvious uh, where exactly where the line is between uh, good, good enough and better and, uh, and making sure that, uh, that uh, we stay on in good enough and don't get into, uh, into the side that says not good enough. What kinds of controls are needed to manage technical engineering risks? Um, we have a, a pretty well-established uh, uh, process to do that. Uh, it begins with the uh, program and project team, including the, um, uh, the, the technical cadre, uh, sitting down and looking at the work at hand and identifying uh, what the risks are that are ahead of them. Uh, sometimes they're, they're purely technical risks of uh, if this component fails, uh, what is the impact of the mission and how do we safeguard against that either by uh, making sure that we've built uh, a, uh, a really rugged component or sometimes it's uh, adding redundancy or some kind of a uh, intentional workaround to the system. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the risks are programmatic uh, in the sense of do we have actually have enough time uh, to develop this item, uh, what happens if, uh, if it takes longer than we think and what are our potential workarounds. And that whole process begins uh, the, the uh, risk management process that really is at the core of program and project management because you're always uh, in the, in the uh, uh, looking at that. Uh, the Eisenhower's quote comes to mind that uh, plans are nothing and planning is everything because uh, in many respects a, uh, uh, a project and the technical execution of a project as well as the programmatic e execution is, is almost always a continuous uh, replan at some level. And I mean that replan in the, in the sense that on any given day you'll be seeing things that will start to emerge as problems that you didn't think were going to be problems and, uh, and now you need a uh, a backup plan to have in mind if, uh, if things become too bad, other things have gotten ahead and you may want to revise your plan to take advantage of it. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's that whole uh, rigorous process and the key is, is that um, to make that successful it, uh, it requires a, uh, some really good uh, hard discussions between the, uh, the, the engineering safety mission assurance and the program and project management communities to be sure that uh, that we're always doing things with the appropriate level of rigor for the, the risk that we have on hand. And I, I don't want to leave out and, and when we're dealing with human space flight and, uh, and the uh, health and medical community is, uh, is very much part of that process as well. But it's a, it's a ingrained ongoing process as opposed to, you know, very uh, episodic things and it's something that uh, people have to live every day. I know it's hard to sort of speak for everyone, but what kinds of projects currently do you think excite the uh, NASA engineering community? You know, the, 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 the beauty of what we get to do is that uh, there are just an awful lot of them. Uh, in fact, about the only thing that doesn't excite the engineering community is, uh, is when we have to wait. Uh, 
And of course, you know, as we sort through all the policy things, it, it does mean we're in a little bit of a uh, in a, of a waiting mode. But uh, people are very, very excited at the, the whole range of things that we're going to get to uh, to do and build. Um, in terms of the uh, you know the specific things that have been you know merging into our our uh, current environment, uh, I think people are very excited about uh, getting. The, the new human spaceflight plant in place and uh, getting cranking on uh, on doing that. Uh, there's uh, uh, a lot of anticipation of there being uh, uh, augmented funding in the uh, technology of, uh, arena under our new chief technologist, and uh, that opens the door to a whole lot of uh, of small projects and the ability to uh, to uh, develop new things or the next generation of things that we've had previously that can work better or cost less. And so there's a huge amount of excitement around uh, uh, the, the opportunities uh, to do that. Uh, and then within the you know the science mission directorate, there's always uh, there, there are a lot of uh, programs and projects going there, and every one of them is uh, targeted at learning something new uh, about our planet, about our, uh, our star, about our universe. And um, uh, and so there's you know there's a huge amount of excitement. I you know frequently talk to to young groups and. Uh, and you know, know that the, the engineering, most of the engineering community feels just like I do, that, the, uh, that uh, it's really quite amazing that we get paid to do these things because uh, when, you, when you come to work and you get to work on really hard problems, solve them, and then discover something new or, or do something new in space that we hadn't done before, it's just a, it's a marvelous but rewarding environment to work in. You mentioned early on uh, the role of system engineering training. Can you dig into that a bit more? What kinds of uh, training uh, are you responsible for, and uh, how important is it to the operation? Okay, so the the, the key for system engineering, uh, system engineers, and it's uh, true for uh, program managers, project managers. It's actually true for engineers in general. Is that the the bedrock of uh, of growing people's skills is to do it uh, is to actually uh, do it by doing things, uh, and so what that means is that the the uh, training programs that we put in place, while they're augmented by classroom training and uh, and reading and handbooks and things like that, that the core of those uh, is making sure that uh, that people as they're growing into more and more. Uh, responsible positions uh, that we have the right mentoring in place, and that we uh, are overtly thinking about what is, what are the next capabilities that uh, they need to grow. Uh, get them into an environment where they have the uh, the proper challenges in front of them. So you always want people to be in a position where they have to take steps that they are a little uncomfortable with uh, because they've not done them before, but not so big that uh, that we can't uh, keep them from falling. And as they learn, then they learn to take even bigger the next time. So it's getting them in the right project with the right mentoring and then supported by the, uh, uh, the right formal training uh, and uh, knowledge management processes uh, so that, uh, that we can build their knowledge base. I think our readers too would be interested in, uh, in your background a bit. Which previous roles or achievements have, have helped you in your current role uh, as chief engineer, do you think? Well, you know, I uh, came to the uh, the agency in 1982 without a uh, formal uh, engineering uh, background uh, because uh, I got my bachelor's in physics from the University of Florida and my PhD in physics from Duke University uh, and then did a postdoc at the University of Delaware uh, in a 
in all, all three in combination of uh, low temperature physics and high pressure physics. Uh, what prepared me in that background for, for coming to NASA was the fact that uh, in all of those we were doing hands-on experimental work and had to design and build all of our own equipment. And so I had done a lot of work by the, uh, by the seat of the pants. Uh, and then when I came to NASA, I was very, very fortunate to uh, have as my first assignment uh, to work on the Cosmic Background uh, Explorer. Um, and the, uh, that was the, the mission for which uh, uh, John Mather uh, won his Nobel Prize. And uh, that mission was intentionally done as an in-house mission out at Goddard because they had been through a... Uh, a fair amount of hiring and had been a, a good bit of a generational turnover, and so they were looking at a uh, hands-on in-house program to uh, to train the next generation. And I was fortunate to be one of that next generation that uh, that was being trained. So that was a pretty seminal experience for me because uh, uh, I had to learn how um, how uh, spaceflight engineering is done. I uh, had a lot of good mentors along the way that. Uh, that knew how to yank me back from the edge when I got too close to it, but also knew how to let me uh, to get out front and uh, try things, do things, and uh, and learn things. And so that was a uh, oh, a little over seven-year process from the time we started on that till the time we launched it. Had a lot of different roles in that, and that's really what uh, what got my feet on the ground. Um, and part of that process was also then having my um, uh, first roles in uh, in leading teams and. Uh, uh, and helping to and, and learning how to uh, to have it uh, to help a team to perform as opposed to uh, performing myself, and uh, and that was a uh, um, a challenging but a uh, really enlightening experience when you finally figured out that uh, boy it was really pretty satisfying to help others to, uh, to do things and that was a way that you could get a lot more accomplished. Um, you know, as over time I uh, ended up. Uh, moving up in the in the hierarchy and uh, uh, division chief, uh, uh, deputy director of engineering, uh, director of engineering, and deputy center director before this job. Uh, the interesting thing is that in every one of those jobs, it's a different set of challenges, uh, but the the common thread through all of them, and uh, one of the things I really love about NASA is that this is the uh, kind of the ultimate team sport, and. Uh, and it doesn't really matter uh, which role that you're playing within that team. If uh, if you can figure out how to uh, to make that whole team or help that whole team uh, perform better, it's a it's a really rewarding experience because you know most of the things we do are, are would simply not be possible for one or ten or you know even a few dozen. It uh, uh, ends up being many more of those, and figuring out how to mesh all those gears in a in a way that the machine runs uh, runs well at a Your biggest challenge as chief engineer? Um, well, the the, uh, the fun part is uh, is just trying to keep track of all the things that are uh, going across the agency, and that uh, that just means you know a lot of load of uh, of trying to uh, keep uh, reading things and uh, keeping up with the the, uh, the communications challenges. Um, the you know the the in times of transition, uh, it's uh, there's always challenges associated with trying to make sure that we're finding the most constructive uh, path forward, uh, both balancing the uh, the near-term uh, needs of the of the programs and projects to keep things moving ahead, as well as the longer-term needs of the uh, the institution and the workforce, because. 
one of the things I'm very cognizant of is that uh, we're in a uh, multi-generational activity. Our very big missions uh, sometimes will take decades from the uh, from the time that they're you know they're uh, they're first the gleam in the eye of a of a scientist or a project team to the time they launch them. Uh, kind of the the other end of that, of course, is that uh, you know it's the the uh, President Science Advisor and Administrator have said that you know, uh, that Mars is our ultimate destination, and that's a uh, that's a multi-decade activity as well. Which means to to do that, it's not only important that we perform efficiently and effectively on the projects that we have in front of us today, but that we also maintain a uh, a healthy institution in terms of, from my perspective, the the technical capabilities that are rooted in the uh, in the centers. And, uh, and very especially the uh, the workforce uh, that uh, we're going to need because the the people that will be in leadership positions by the time we get to Mars are people that we haven't even hired today. Uh, and so it's it's very important that uh, we're, we're working with the NASA workforce, but that we're also making sure that we do the right things in the uh, in the pipeline that really starts with. Uh, with uh, middle schoolers when they decide whether to take algebra or not or to focus on science courses and to go into a technical field so that we have a, a vibrant pipeline of, uh, of people that will come into the agency, uh, learn by doing, and then eventually rise to the leadership positions. Finally, what is, what is the most exciting or what is your favorite part of, uh, of the role today? Oh boy, uh, I'll give you two two answers that are, are kind of at the very opposite ends of the spectrum. I absolutely, it, it's very hard to describe uh, the thrill you get when uh, when you see one of our, our really uh, immensely challenging but but wonderful systems uh, launch. So when you see a shuttle launch, and knowing what it takes uh, to to do that is immensely rewarding to uh, to see one of our, our uh, mainstream science missions uh, launch and to, to know what it takes to do that and all the people that have done that. The other end of the spectrum that I just get a huge charge of is when I uh, when I get a chance to walk around and talk with and, and read uh, uh, read notes uh, uh, about the uh, the uh, the younger generation that we've got coming into the agency and uh, and some of the absolutely amazing things we do and to and then when you step back from that and say boy you know that uh, they're really part of a of a uh, continuum but I, I just get a real charge out of uh, of talking with a young engineer that uh, that's come in here and thinks that uh, it's not possible for them to have had a uh, a better job in the uh, in the whole world, and uh, and they're excited about coming here. And I just know that they're going to be doing great things for the next twenty or thirty years. Michael, we at NASA Tech Breeze want to thank you for being with us today and talking to our audience. Okay, well, thank you very much.